Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park think we're up dr mark thanks for being here you're back for i guess the second time uh returning on the uh the sheeler slick podcast here and i appreciate you being here you doing okay i am and chris i want to just say thank you so much for having me uh back as a guest so for those who didn't hear the first episode but you're it was all about uh age decoded i think was the name of the book right sci-fi yep. book. it was yep. all about CRISPR technology just to give people a little bit of a quick rerun here um, yes. And for CRISPR technology, basically, that it's all about uh, exploiting genes through computers, so to speak. Yeah, through uh, DNA manipulation, genetic engineering. So in my book, um, I'm trying to look about a couple hundred years into the future and explore what it might be to be human anymore. Uh, mm. when, when, in fact, they can change human nature uh in many good ways like for example fighting disease but then they, they there might be a, some other things that go on so um yeah what it means to be a human will be fundamentally altered uh as we learn more and more and implement genetic uh engineering yeah i was keeping up with it a whole lot and there in the beginning like when we were first started talking about it you know i, th- I think you were on here about a year ago or so and that's that it seems like, you know, who was the uh, the Harvard professor we talked about? Was it David Sinclair? Is that David like? Sinclair, that's yeah. right. Yeah, and uh, he's been on a couple of different podcasts I listened to, and he was really promoting it hardcore. And I haven't seen much of it lately, but um, that's what really struck my interest in it was just what he was talking about, kind of reversing aging, as you just said. And, and like, yeah, you know, almost giving people what is it, immortality, right? Yeah, so there's stopping aging, which uh, there's a lot of research on that too. Uh, and then there's even going further, trying to reverse human aging. Yeah. And what, one thing that's kind of, I guess this might be a little bit of a side tangent, but um, I've been keeping up now with, uh, I think it's called cryonics. Have you heard of that? Yes. Yeah. And so uh, for those who don't know what cryonics is, but it's basically, if you were to get a disease that was not curable right now, that they could freeze your body at a certain time, right? And in hopes to find a cure and bring you back at a certain time. Indeed. Now, uh, in my book, I I don't really have that technology. I have uh, <laughs> something anti-cloning totipotency, which involves sort of regrowing uh, organ by organ, but I don't have 
the freezing and bringing back. Uh, however, that's still possible too, that sort of uh, thing. And, and that, that would be still through the genetic uh, material that would be brought back, I'm pretty sure. But um, yeah, it's pretty wild to think about what's going to happen uh, in one or 200 years. And actually some of this is even happening now, for example, um, one good thing is um, uh, they've used genetic engineering to um, fight some rare diseases where they, they sort of inject the genetic uh, manipulation code into your bloodstream and then it finds the organ, in, for example, in the case of a liver disease, amyloidosis. They've already, um, it's a rare disease, but they've already uh, had these um, injections target just the liver cells, which is pretty cool. And then um, um, change the genetic coding of that tissue in that area only, which is pretty important. Yeah. Uh, and very isolated, very, very specific now. That's a breakthrough, actually. And they just did that this year. Um, I believe it was at University at uh, Imperial College, but I'm, I'm not sure, somewhere in the UK. But uh, anyway, so they successfully actually um, stopped that. Uh, disease in four human beings who had that rare disease. So that's, that's really interesting. So, uh, because one of the complaints with genetic engineering, oh, you're going to affect all the genetic code and then the, it'll be passed forward and you know, there'll be side effects and all that. But if you can really zero in like that, it could be pretty positive in many ways. Yeah. Well, I think that was a, kind of what we talked about even last time was the side effects of you know, using CRISPR technology and, you know, changing your own genetic DNA coding and, you know what are possible once that can happen and i know we don't need to go down deep dive on this you know because i want to talk about what you know what brought you back here today sure. but, uh, but that is pretty um it's you know like you just said it's interesting in that in today's times that we're starting to see these breakthroughs and that you know i don't know if you said 100 or 200 years in, in our lifetime or what but if we're going to be able to see like you know fixes for these curable incurable diseases which you know, then I guess the cure comes to the question that does people really want to live forever or yeah, really, yeah. really meant to live forever? Yeah, that's a big question because there's so many even psychological impacts of the idea of, oh, I'm immortal now. Okay, hold on just a sec. I'm immortal. So, um, okay, what do I ever retire from working? Uh, do I? Do we have children anymore? Because if everybody's immortal, you can't keep them. Um, populating the earth very few people are dying so um do we have generations and fathers and daughters and grandmothers and all that so all this comes up in my book and it's it's intriguing um the humans are meant to well so far are meant to die and pass on through natural selection and all that our genes and um that would all be obliterated if we all were immortal it would be a completely different landscape human landscape and even what it means to be human would be different i think we would approach being robots just as robots are approaching being humans there might be even like this big grand uh, uh um, meeting between the two where you can't even distinguish what's well, like one of those uh seems like the actual sci-fi movies that we always basically see rather be like the humans versus the machines right yeah whatever can come happens but <laughs> yeah and, yeah um but you know i heard somebody once say that you know, they went and saw their favorite movie and it was like a three hour movie, you know, one of the Marvel movies or something like that. And they, and they made it and talking about immortality and mortality that, you know, it was one of those things that, you know, he felt like all things needed to come to an end because 
you know, it's a three hour movie and he doesn't want to sit there and watch that movie forever. And this is the way he put it. I was like, well, that kind of makes sense to me, but you know, watching a movie and life are obviously two different things, but. Yeah. So uh, in age decoded in my book, there, I, I bring that forth too. There's a concept. I just made it up called immor- immortality ennui where ennui, you know, that's, that's, not not direction listlessness uh what am i doing feeling or uh, outlook uh is thrust upon people because they're suddenly immortal and after a few more decades or 50 to 100 years people start uh becoming um hampered by this condition sure of immortality anyway and uh some of them do anyway and so that's just one thing so suicide becomes a um sort of a viable um, option for some of these people well i mean you know i don't want to i don't want to go down a COVID soapbox or anything but it seems like what didn't suicide rates and stuff like that increase during COVID times i mean I, I guess we're out of pandemic now but i mean i think it was one of those things that people you know for instance i'm a single guy i mean living by yourself and then when you're i mean, i had it pretty well i mean I can't remember if we talked about this last time or not, but I was still able to go yeah. to the gym. I was still able to go to the grocery store. I just had the only thing that really changed for me was put on a mask, right? Yes. But yeah, so but obviously that you start to realize when you're living off momentum, you're going day in and day out, you know, go to work, routine, whatever, go to the gym, come home, that when that all that comes to a halt, it's like, ooh, wait. And psychologically, it takes an impact on your mental health. And, you know, like I said, I was, you know, pretty lucky and very fortunate that, you know, life didn't, like I said, life didn't change much for me. But those, you know, who were maybe stuck in a high rise in New York on top of each other who were not allowed to go out. I mean, it's, you know, I, I feel for them. I empathize with them. Yeah. It's the effect on the human psyche pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. But what brings you back though, is, uh, you got another book, right? Right. I do. I'm really excited about this one. It's different. It, first of all, it's not a fiction. It's not science fiction. It's a, and actually it's, uh, somewhat autobiographical. It's about my daughter and I, so let's say biography and autobiography. It's about my daughter, Steffi and I, my daughter is now 25 years old, just to make sure that's clear, but it starts, the book starts when she's, uh, seven years old. And she says to me and my wife, Lynn, she says, I want to go right around the block. And I'm like, what? Why would you want to go run around? And I want you to time me too. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, she seemed to have this innate desire to uh, run and to run um, competitively, first by competing against herself. Um, so I, she was only seven and we're living in the big city of Toronto. So I, I sort of thought I better put some shoes on her, or go with her, make sure she doesn't get run over by a car or <laughs> attacked by a dog or something, you know, who knows. Sure. So she's only seven. So I, I, I've been very sedentary at this point in my life. I'm 45 years old. So I get off the couch, find some shoes and go with her on that first jog. And that first jog changed everything. Like for me, like it's, so the book is called run daughter, run father. And I put daughter in front of father there because she was the runner. I joined her and then I became a competitive athlete too. And we both over the next 17 years, uh, really felt, pursued our dreams somewhat together. Um, not totally together, but we shared this pursuit, this athletic uh, endeavor. And it was a wonderful sharing. It was a bonding with my daughter, um, that I'm, it's just so positive And I wanted to share the stories. We, I mean, we had our ups and downs, 
Sure, sure. But I want to share the stories and that's why I wrote the book. And the book actually has a lot of good, um, not just stories, but training advice and scientific uh, research on writing and whatnot. And uh, so it's sort of a mixture of stories, personal stories, about Stephanie and I, and then the research and um, uh, on fitness and training, especially for distance running. Mm. So, <clears throat> yeah. One thing when you, you know, you contacted me, you want to come back on and talk about the book again. Uh, two or three weeks ago, I recently just completed my first half marathon. So oh, congratulations. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Yeah. So I was, uh, when you, uh, you know, this was like, kind of like, I don't know what you want to say. It's just like, kind of just like the universal came for a full circle. Yeah. I like, I'd love to get this right here. And uh, good, good. Yeah, that's, so, that's, that's amazing. So where did you, can I ask, where was the race? Yeah. yeah so it was, uh, it was local. And, uh, just so you remember, I'm, uh, in the Southwestern part of Virginia, like right outside of black right. Virginia. Right. And, right. um, it was a three person triathlon uh competition so one 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 of our gym members did the bike uh and then this one wasn't a swim it was a kayak so i think they had a swim or not swim kayak 12 miles and then i did the half marathon at the end of it and that's great and it was like right along the new river trail if you've ever heard of that it kind of same thing as apple appalachian trail so to speak but a little bit different but uh yeah it was uh i trained for two ish months through yeah. that about is that minutes. your first time trying that distance? It's a pretty good yeah, distance. Yeah, so, you know, my background, I'm a CrossFitter, so 5K was probably about the longest I've ever done, okay. right? Yeah, okay. which was, that was pretty typical in a regular CrossFit workout for me. And then yeah. um, these two members came to the gym, and it was something, you know, the uh, I guess it was the state parks were wanting to put this on, and they asked if I wanted to, you know, be part of it. And I'm, for me here lately, I've always been trying to look for things that really challenge me and will make things hard for me in that way you know i learned by myself and learn if i can do it and learn if i haven't done it i just you know i, I feel better doing things like when i overcome these obstacles now right yeah but it was it was a perfect opportunity yeah so, good for you and uh so um how'd you feel the next day <laughs> were you a little stiff or not uh, actually this is the worst part like uh and we can talk about this too like and i don't know what normal training programs are like and what they do for half marathons or what you might do for years. But it was typically one week would be you run four days out of the week and let's yes. just, you would run like four miles, five miles. Then I think it was maybe another five and let's say six on the Saturday. Right. Okay. And then, um, in a way it was like a 12 week program in a way the program was written that each time you go out and run, you're supposed to try to at least do a little bit better than the last time. Right. right. Pick up your pace a little bit or whatever. But I was still doing my CrossFit training on this, you know, at the same time, too. So I was putting a lot on my body at the same time. But the worst part to answer your question, um, once my ankles was like the worst part of me trying to build up and I've always had maybe weaker ankles. And, you know, I went out and bought some special shoes to run in and all that good stuff. And at the end of the race, my ankles hurt so bad. Like, I, you know, I could walk, but it was just like literally me kind of like, you know, holding against the wall. Yeah. 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 And that was the worst part. The next day and the next morning I woke up, I felt fine. I was, I went, you know, took my dogs for a walk just to get a little recovery and active recovery. Good. Fantastic. And, but yeah, that, that was one question I wanted to ask, like, you know, the ankle. So that seemed to be the worst thing. Yeah. I wonder, uh, so it was like the inside of the ankles or the medial side or the lateral side? Yeah. The inside. The inside. Eh? So um, I would have to take a look at your shoes and your feet. Maybe you had somebody look at, it. I mean, it could be anything from the shoes are too tight, but I'm sort of doubting it's that mm -hmm. to, um, you need orthotics, um, because your feet are 
chlorinating too much or something like that. I don't know if you have orthotics. No, um, no I went to a special running store and they watched me run. There was a person, guy watched me run. And he said I kind of had an yeah. inside gait. Yeah, so you might be, yeah, protein inside, that's going to put pressure on your medial ligaments there. And then, you know, as you increase the distance, you're going to start feeling it. But with orthotics or something, you could probably get that corrected pretty quickly. And maybe if the shoes are too tight in combination, we know that it's just worse. So um, it's probably something that you can fix. Uh, what's the longest rate, uh, distance you did before the half? Uh, um, I did do right at 13 miles the week before. Oh, did you? Okay. So did you feel it during that? Yeah. Uh, it wasn't as bad. Um, my, uh, I did feel it, you know, they were like, Oh, this hurts. But it's, it, you know, it was, it wasn't like pain where I was like, I need to go see somebody or anything. It was just, it's kind of sucked, yeah. you know? Yeah. There's always, and that's uh, like in my book, it's interesting. There's always these challenging to your faces from, I, I have a large discussion about injuries and uh, health and, uh, run daughter, run father. Um, that's really, really important. That's that's really the pivotal issue for most runners. And that's what's going to make them, that's what's going to sideline them, frustrate them, and make them try to come back even harder um, is the injury yeah. bug. It's it's the runner's curse, actually, is injury. Because I was I, I did a little calculation in the book. If you, if you do a decent amount of running, like a half marathoner would do, might do 200K, uh, a month or, or let's say 130 miles a month, uh, 30 or 40 miles a week, like, like a pretty serious half marathon. Sure. Um, I don't, you, you did close to that. It sounds like you're doing about 25 a week. Anyway. So you're doing 60,000 steps per foot per month, 60,000. So if there's anything a little bit off biomechanically, it's going to show up in that. Uh, it's going to start affecting you, but it's most of it can be solved. So that's the good news too. So, yeah. And that's what I kind of figured out was that, um, i you know, I knew a couple of people who did run, you know, they were distance runners and I was asking them for tips and advice and what they were doing and maybe they could, you know, share some tips with me and that, cause like literally the first week when I started running, I was telling them that it felt like my Achilles was going to pop out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like, I, and I thought I was in trouble because that was, you know, the first, I think, I think I was doing three, it was like three, four, five miles that week, you know, nothing major. Yeah. I was like, I'm in trouble if I'm already here. <laughs> <laughs> that's right that's right I'm, I'm, yeah you got through that so did you just stretch uh, a lot yeah it was just yeah. one of those that um you know i would just start going on youtube and looking up what other people were doing like just stretching before my workout stretching a little bit after and yeah. um i bought toe spacers which i don't know if that does anything or not but i thought that why not there was some science behind that that i've been reading do you know what no toe spacers? No. no what are they uh um so, oh, sorry. I, th I thought you said toast maester. I'm thinking, toast maester. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah. So, so did that, um, did that, yeah. So that helped out with the forefoot and then translated a little bit. Uh, it did. I think it maybe helped with circulation, but you know, yeah. I've never had, you know, there's some science behind it with uh, plantar fasciitis, you know, like say if the big toe yeah. is starting to get crooked, in, but I've never had feet like that. And yeah, knock on wood. So, but I felt like my feet were getting a little bit better circulation and I would only wear them like, walking around the house, maybe do some stretches, stretching around the house and watching TV and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Well, so, so you, that's great. You got all the ailments going early there and that, that, you're a real runner when all that starts happening. <laughs> so, but uh, the CrossFit is fantastic because it, it takes some of the pressure off with some of that. And then, yeah. But and that's, that's, yeah, sorry. Yeah. No, yeah. You're fine. I was just wanting, it was just, it was, it was one of the best things I've ever done, but also one of the hardest things I think I've done here recently was just that, you know, 
one thing that for me, you know, it takes a lot of time just to run, you know, six, even six miles, you know, you at least plan an hour out of your day. Sure. Yeah. And that, uh, you know, I had to start planning between around my job and around CrossFit training and everything. So like, I got to spend an extra day or an extra hour or even a little bit more, you know, an extra 15 minutes just to get to where I was running at and stretching afterwards and stuff. And it was, that was one of the, uh, another one of the biggest challenges was just the time management of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'm sort of lucky because I am now retired from teaching. Uh, I've been retired for three years. Just before COVID hit, I retired. So I got sort of lucky that way too. Right. And, uh, so I have, uh, I think you mentioned I'm doing triathlons now. So uh, I try to do um, a couple of workouts a day, and but I've got time for that. Right. So sometimes I'll do a swim, say in the morning before noon, and then depending if it's really hot, do the run at night or, or maybe just before dinner or bike ride. I usually don't bike and run on the same day because they're using my legs, both of them. But um, swim, I like to combine with the other two. So, so typically, what does a training session look like for you during a day? I mean, I mean it's a couple hours each day or do you just kind of space it yeah. out a week or what? Yeah, so I will try, I'll try to do 10 or 11 workouts per, per week. Okay. Um, I might even take a full day off with that. Like if I'm feeling a little tired or whatever, or just got something you know, too busy, I just won't do anything. But so the other six days though, I'm doing pretty much two workouts. So that's almost 12 workouts, 12 if I do two. And like I say, I like to combine swimming with running or biking Yeah. because, uh, or, or sometimes I'll do a bike followed by a run because in the triathlon event itself, you do a bike followed by a run and it's it, the run. It does not feel good when you're coming off the bike. So you have to actually practice that feeling. It's called a brick workout. Um, so you get off the bike, you might've been an hour or two hours on a bike, and then you got to go run in the first kilometer is just awful. Your legs feel like just, bleh. and oh, but they, they sort of find themselves. They actually do find themselves after a while. And then, but you're never as good as just running, you know? So, so that's called a brick workout. I like to do some of those, but generally when I do double workouts, I like to have a swim with a run or a swim with a bike. And mm -hmm. so it might be an hour swimming or, or a kilometer or two swimmer swimming, usually in open water if I can, not in a pool, not in a pool with lanes, but actually in a, there's a quarry out here. That's really cool to swim in. There's a, uh, there's a conservation area that has a lake that's really great for swimming too. But in that winter, you got to go inside and um, <coughs> use, use the pool, right? <coughs> and then the bike. Um, believe it or not, most of my biking I do indoors um, because it is dangerous being on a bike, even on a country road. It's just, I don't know, there's stuff out there, animals, potholes, sure. cars, whatever. Or you can just, I don't know, stuff happens. So, um, or mountain bike. I'll do mountain bike going to trails, but... Uh, that could be dangerous too. In fact, I almost took out my shoulder. I did dislocate my shoulder um, oh. two two months ago, but it was wasn't like the full dislocation. It was just the joint, the top joint, it popped out and back in. So I was actually okay about four weeks later. I got lucky there. But uh, the cycling, most of it, I do in my basement on a tr simulated trainer. That's what most triathloners do. It's just safer. Mm. Um, and then the running, uh, you can do almost anywhere, right? That's pretty flexible on the running. Yeah. But I, I don't do that in my basement. <laughs> I do that outdoors. <laughs> yeah, so. it'd be, be kind of weird doing a deadline in the basement, I bet. Yeah. Well, I guess you could do a treadmill, but I cannot do treadmill Ooh, running. I, I've yeah. tried it. I've tried it. I can't do it. For that no. long? No. But uh, <laughs> you know, to your point, talking about the transition pieces, you know, and one of the things when I was doing my uh, 
half marathon. I was like, I was the last leg, of course, but there were team or people who were out there. You could either do it solo or on a team. Yes. That I was watching. It was a 40 mile bike ride was the first part of it. And then they would come down and then like immediately run to the, uh, it was the new river here where we at. And that's where they were kayaking. And like the transition of it, I was, you know, some of them were just immediately, I guess they had their bike cleats on and everything and just jumping in the kayak and going. And I was like, man, don't they need a, you know, yeah. break change shoes. I mean, get some, yeah. but some, I mean, some, they were animals, man. And I was like, just applauding them. I was like, I couldn't believe it. You know? And I was sitting there wondering, man, what would it be like if I was doing that right now? But what would be going through my head? You know? Yeah. They've got it down that transition. They got it down to split seconds on, you know, everything, you know, but um, yeah. it's an art. <laughs> it is. Yeah. And even when uh, they got off the kayak and when I was waiting for my uh, relay to come tag me in, that I saw him getting out of the kayak and one guy, he just took off running. And I was like, did he, did he even change his? Yeah. <laughs> I know. That's when I, when I started triathloning, I have a funny story about that. Cause I, I was very bad at transitioning. I had to think about everything. Okay, hold on. I came into the bike, take my helmet off, get my goggles. Fuck yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm too much thinking. Right. And so my first transition on my very first triathlon, I think I was like six minutes in the T1 going from the swim you have to get your wetsuit off and to the bike where you got to pull all your bike stuff on, get your bike. And, you know, so I was six minutes and most people are like minute and a half. So my buddy who got my buddy, Chris, who got me into this, uh, this whole thing, triathloning thing, he said to me after this, good race, Mark, but what happened even T1? Did you, were you making breakfast or something? (laughs) You were six minutes in there. (laughs) Uh, What, what is your, what is your mindset like when you're, you know, you're going through these legs and what do you, I mean, cause for me, you know, we were kind of out in the wilderness a little bit. So I had headphones in, but they were kind of spotty. They were going in and out and I was trying to keep I even did a couple of runs without headphones just because of that whole fact right there. It's like, man, what if, you know, I don't have music at a certain point in this race, what am I going to be like? But a lot of it was just me, you know, trying to relax my mind and just, you know, think about, you know, okay, you know, think about the breathing, think about my pacing and not, you know, worry about if somebody was passing me or not. And yeah, that's right. Think about, you know, is that just kind of keep your mind at ease as best and not try to think about like, you know, some things would come up as far as, you know, maybe little stressors in my life and maybe like, you know, ways like, oh yeah, maybe I should do it this way next time or whatever. But, you know, it's just anything I could keep my mind active from, I guess, from sort of thinking on, yeah, but not too, like, but not too uh, hyper, like you said. Try to relax. There you go. For example, in the swim, when you start out in that swim in a triathlon, you got people all around either kicking you in the face or coming up behind you, bouncing off your side, and you got to go around a buoy together, like maybe do a ninety degree turn, and it all it all gets congested at the buoy, and people are almost going backwards trying to get around. <laughs> They're going go underwater. That's a good strategy, right? You know, actually, yeah. I never thought of that. Maybe I should try that next time. Go underwater around the buoy. Because um, the uh, there's a lot of stress, especially in the swim, because it's pretty congested, sure. and uh, people almost start hyperventilating under that water, even if they've been doing a lot of swimming. It's it's, it's nerve wracking, especially in your first triathlon. And then when you're on the bike, uh, like you said, relax. You don't want to redline too much. Like you can, you can get excited on the bike too, and then you start pushing too hard, forgetting that you've got you know ten kilometers or twenty kilometers to run at the end of it. So. Uh, I've, I've done a triathlon where I, where I went way too hard on the bike, got way too excited, pumping oh, it up the hills, redlining it. Like red, by redlining, I mean just pushing your quads to their burning, you know, like you really don't want to do that or getting your heart rate up to, you know, 90% max. There's no point doing that. So you want to really control yourself on the bike. Uh, don't go berserk. 
then yeah, like you said, don't worry if anybody's passing you and just be be a little cautious and keep and save some energy for that that run, which sure. is gonna be really tough. Yeah. Yeah, that was my my thing was that, you know, I didn't know when exactly I was gonna be able to start my run just because you know you're waiting around and just and i was like that was part of me like i don't how much am i eating how much am i drinking am i warmed up enough should i do a little bit more but you know once i got going and i was kind of in a small group but then we kind of all spread ourselves out and i was like all right you know and i was wanting to run with my app that i was using because it told me how my what my pace was and so i was like all right just stick with your pace don't get too crazy out here and you know if somebody does pass you you know don't let your competitive instincts and even if they're Going, maybe you'll catch them somewhere down the road, but I was like, you got to stick to what you stay in your lane. That was my yes, thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, run and in, people don't know that on the bike you cannot um, run, you can't bike in groups, so you have to decide: am I going to follow this person or pass them? You can't tuck in behind them. You have to either pull back two bike lengths or go right around them. So in the running, though, you can you can go in packs, and sometimes that's nice if you can get in a small group, like you mentioned. Um, yeah. Well, we're taking it back a little bit, though. I mean, getting back to your book that, you know, you said you were 45 when your daughter was, and she was seven when you started running. I mean, did you have any athletic background before this or was it just? Yes, I had run um, high school cross country and I did That's... do one marathon when I was 20. Then I got injured and I gave up. Uh, I ran a pretty fast marathon. I ran a 236 uh marathon when I was 20 I didn't even train that much so I obviously had some innate ability but then I, I got sore knees and just sort of I uh, was a university student I just said I, I, I couldn't handle it I mean even back then the orthotics like I'm pretty old now I'm talking about 1980 uh, the orthotics were just coming on the scene so I didn't even know much about orthotics so we were uh, I just packed it in and then like say I didn't really do anything for 25 more years and then my daughter and I started getting into it and uh, we can talk about her too because she she's progressed she's got some good stories uh, she's had some major challenges and it all comes in the book and uh but um I'm very proud of her and she's um just this year made some remarkable breakthroughs uh, in her running she's now 25. What were some of her you know bigger challenges that you think? One of the biggest one was in grade nine she finished uh uh, she was second in the um, midget girls Ontario provincial finals for the 3000 meters. So she, she was almost a gold medal. She missed by half a second. Anyway, it was a great race. So she was highly touted and she was doing very well. She got an invitation to the New York uh, indoor balance race, sorry, indoor new balance indoors race. Nice. And uh, she, she, anyway, so in, when cross country season started in grade nine in the fall, she thought um, she was expected to be one of the top um, finishes in, in Ontario in the province. And um, my wife and I went to the race and everything seemed okay. And the um, she took off, uh, she, she was in the top 20 right at the start. They have about three or 400 in this race, all the best in their province. So she's doing had a pretty good start, top 20. And then they sort of disappeared in the forest, but they had somebody on the microphone who was um, uh, announcing the race and, and the top 10 are, and they give the names and all that. And we never heard her name. And then after a kilometer, we still never heard her name. <coughs> and uh, we, I, I was starting to get worried because she should have been in the top three. Um, and then they, 10 minutes later, it's only a 3K race, so two mile race. Sure. They start coming across the finish line. I don't see her. I haven't heard her name. 
And then we waited for every single girl to come across the finish line. She never, we never saw her. So we started getting quite worried. And um, now about 10 minutes later, she ended up walking. She was walking. You can see her walking towards her school tent. Yeah. And uh, we discovered that she had an asthma attack. Oh, no. So she, yes, she, she, it was the first time we noticed, we knew then that she had. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park exercise induced asthma which is uh, a condition that some of your listeners might be able to relate to and um it was she also she only made it apparently like 800 meters into the race and then just couldn't breathe anymore and a coach out there just sort of looked after her and made sure she got back in but uh, that's what happened and that was that was a challenge for her for the next two or three years she had to deal even taking the puffer you know the uh the puffer that some people take yep. before yeah, even that that didn't completely protect her and then she took the drug singular which is a, a pill you can take once a day gives you added protection even that and with the puffer it didn't necessarily um she had some good races no doubt about that like she uh she got another invite invite to uh one of the new bellas indoors and ran a really really fast 5k like 17 25 wow. that's when she's 14 years old right so it's pretty good yeah um and uh i was surprised she made it through the race because it was really humid in there and that's the type of condition where you're, you're probably going to blow up with your asthma game right but she got through um and ran really fast but um so that was frustrating, but she's outgrown that now. Like it's, uh, it's funny, right around first, second year university, it just sort of disappeared. Um, just on its own. It just kind of went away. Just. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and that does happen. That happens with stuff like that. Yeah. So did she change her diet up or anything like that? Or No, uh, it's, it's sort of weird, but then she had other challenges. Like a lot of females, especially females will, will get really fast when they're 14 or 15. And then when they hit puberty, their body changes, their hormones change, and they actually slow down. And that, that happened to her. So she slowed down. Um, she did her fastest running. She was 15 and then slowed down, sort of regressed, (coughs) even though she was training as much or more. Even through university cross country and track and field, she never hit her times till just this last uh, year and a half. And then she started taking down her records. It was very frustrating because you're talking from 16 to 23, seven years, training hard, not never really injured and not even able to run your high school times, your grade nine, grade 10 times. So she, uh, she, she, uh, I give her credit. She stuck to it. She never stopped. Uh, she's always enjoyed the running, even though it was a bit of a hit to her ego. And, uh, just this year she started taking down her time. She took down pretty, 
uh, big, like she did a 1500 meter this uh, summer in 431, I think that, that took, the, she had her PB before that was 438 in grade 10. So she, 431, that's getting pretty fast. And then she ran a 17 flat 5k. And then um, she's probably going to be 16 next year, 16, 1630 or something 5k. I, I think she's progressing quite a lot now. Again, so. Sounds like it. Yeah. Yeah. She's getting better with age. Yeah, and, and, um, and that happens with a lot of runners. One of the most famous American runners, uh, Desiree Linden, formerly Desiree DeVilla, she won the Boston Marathon just a few years ago. Hey, okay, that's why I was like, I knew that name somewhere. She said the same thing. I remember reading a little bit about her. She said um, that she ran her fastest when she was 13, 14, and that she never approached those times again until she was in her mid-20s. And then I don't know how old she was when she won Boston. It was in her, she's in her thirties at least. So she's, yeah, she had to be very patient. She's stuck with it. She's a she's got a great heart. And, uh, she finally, uh, uh won the Boston marathon and, and, uh, as an American woman. And, uh, she's, she's so motivating her story. Yeah. Do you think that, trying to think of the best way to put this that you know age when it comes to athletics that it's almost just a number anymore and it's just kind of based on that you know how you're recovering what you're putting in your body what's your stress level like what's your nutrient deficiencies like and what, what how many hours of sleep you're getting and i guess what i'm getting at is that you know when you're watching you know even if you're watching like here you know baseball football or something and there's a guy that comes out he's 33 34 years old the commentator's like oh it's a cinderella story you know 34 years old so out here you know, playing whatever it is, you know, and it's, and I know running is completely different than American football or whatever, but you know, and for CrossFit, you know, I'm 36 and they put me in a different age bracket now when I do, you know, certain yes. competitions. And yes. so, but you know, some people seem to argue that like, you know, those few things I just listed off that, you know, if you're watching what you're doing, you know, 36 is the new 28, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, look at marathoning. Um, Yuli Kipchoge just set the world record. He's 37 years old. And um, Carlos Lopes won the night, I think it was the 1980 Olympic marathon, 37 years old. And the American, your American Kira, Kira D'Amato just set the US women's marathon record uh, this year. She was 37 years old. So I would say for marathoning, for distance running, age is just a number until about 40 but inevitably there will be a decline in the aerobic capacity so at that point age grouping makes sense and then then age is just a number again because you're you're in a group and you can compete in in, in your age group it's great is that I mean, you just qualified for oh i forgot what you told me it was something in spain though right yes yeah yeah in the 60 64 bracket yeah, so it's funny in my book, uh, Friend, Daughter, and Father, I talk about how I um, I want to qualify for the World Championships because three years ago, I, I actually did qualify, but I never actually finished the swim. So I made it to Geneva, Switzerland for Canada. I was representing Canada in the, my age group, 60 to 65. And I, it was a windy, uh, windy wavy swim and mm. it, was, it wasn't even out and back it was like into the wind almost all the way <clears throat> and 
that day they did not allow wetsuits and i i'm a fairly weak swimmer it's my weak uh, spot i heard that i i depend on the, i depend on the wetsuit like without it i knew i was going to be in trouble <laughs> and so i made it about 800 i had to go 1500 meters i made it about 800 meters and i surrendered to the uh to the rescue boat and i wasn't the only one who didn't make it it was pretty tough swim but uh you know, it was it was disappointing because I never got on my bike, and it was, they had a great bike course there in Geneva, and also I never got to run, which is my strength. And uh, so, I just said to my friend Chris, who who did finish his race, I said, "Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna make it back here someday." And so, COVID hit, couldn't do it for a couple of years, but then uh, this year, uh, I trained hard and I managed to qualify again for that same championship. Yeah. It's going to be in Spain. Um, in 12 months in September of 2023. So I'm, I'm really thrilled. I'm like I say, without joining my daughter, when she was seven years old, none of this would be happening. Right. It's all, it's all like, it's funny how it all, you know, connects. Um, but I'm going to Spain and I'm going to, I'm going to finish that swim. And actually, ironically, they just made a new rule saying that if you're 59 years old or older, they cannot um, tell you can't wear a wetsuit. Good. Because I thought that made no sense anyway. Like they're, they're doing it to protect people from overheating. I'm not going to overheat uh, in a wetsuit, even even if Lake Geneva is 23 degrees instead of 22. <laughs> and uh, when they plucked us all from the water, like there were a lot of us, we were all shivering. So it just it made no sense that rule. And I'm glad the ITU has changed that rule. Physiologically, nobody's going to overheat in a 1500 meter swim. They can though if it's a longer swim, like say four miles in really warm water. Yeah, that's that can be an issue. Oh, but not in this thing. Do you set goals for yourself to keep, you know, competing for as long as you can until you're physically able to? And just that's your goal. Yeah. Hey, I want to do X, Y, and Z until, you know, when the wheels fall off is when I'll stop. Yeah. So I'm now, I'm going to be 64 very soon. So I'm in the, I'm in the 60 to 64 year old age group. So I'm actually at a disadvantage. I didn't think I'd qualify, Chris. I thought yeah. I would be, because I'm competing against guys two, three, four years younger than me. And I know it sounds like, okay, about 61, 64, who cares? No, it's actually, you can feel the difference. Uh, I don't doubt it. Yeah. So um, I didn't think I'd make it. So now I'm in, but I was sort of trying this year to get ready for next year. Cause next year I get to be uh, qualifying to try to get into the 65, 69 group. That'll be much easier for me. So I guess I'll use this as a stepping stone. I don't know where it is after Spain. For, I don't think they've announced it for next year, but I, I'd like to go to that too, wherever it is. Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. What, what keeps you motivated at your age? I mean, is it just that, you know, I've always said on here that I have plans to be a centurion, you know, I think I want to live to a hundred. So being yeah. able to physically move and being independent and knowing that I could, you know, if someone, Hey, you know, Mark said, Hey, let's go run a triathlon or a marathon, half marathon. Like, yeah, let's go do it. You know, just stuff like that. Like it's really, it's like a dopamine rush, I guess, for me, you know, it's just like, I can get out there and still do it. You know, it doesn't matter how old I am, you know, where I'm at, just that, and that's why, I, as I still like CrossFit, it's because, you know, they put you in different age groups and depending on what day it is, you know, like I did a competition last weekend in Bristol and there was people from, they're all different ages competing in the same level as me. You know, I'm still able to like, hey, I still got it. You know, even those younger people, you know, with me, I'm still out there, you know, doing pretty well for myself. So I think that's what kind of motivates me. Was that kind of what? Yeah, I think so. And also my failure in that race three years ago, <laughs> that was a big motivation. Sure. So, uh, failure can be a great motivation, especially when you think you have a chance of succeeding beyond that. So, <clears throat> um, 
So I don't know what uh, my daughter has been a great motivation because she's seeing her run um, uh, and seeing what she's gone through and, and how she's bounced back and all her success, especially this last year after um, her performance decline. That, that's been very motivating to see. And um, I've got this friend I mentioned, Chris, who uh, motivates me. He, he was a great mentor. He's the one who got me into triathloning. I was sort of a pure runner. And then I, I think I had a bit of a nagging injury. He said, hey, Mark, John, why don't you join me on a bike ride? And I said, okay. I'll, so I, I grabbed the bike and I was just drafting him all the way, just trying to keep up with stuck right behind his draft. But because uh, he's quite a cyclist. But he um, he got me into biking, and biking was great because it felt like I was floating compared to running. It was like, hey, this is interesting. I'm floating. There's no pounding. I can do two hours. I'm not stiff. There's no eccentric muscle muscle contraction at all, right? Yeah. So compared to running, and so I, I sort of liked it. And I and then um, the swimming, you actually literally are floating. So I started doing that, and it was a nice complement to running. The floating, the swimming, and the bike—really uh, nice compliment. A bit of a break for the running. I don't even run every day now. I run maybe four or five max times a week. Okay. Right. Yeah. So that that kept me motivated too. Uh, it helped transition to triathlon because it really it gave me a fresh thing to to, to do, if new sports to try to master. Swimming is very technical, so you can take lessons and really learn a lot, and and you and you can really improve a lot after even two years in. You can still get better because of technique. And then bike biking, uh, it's really cool getting a bike and trying to figure out how how to do that properly. So the biking's been fantastic. Um, I, I had a guy here at uh, his place called the Flying Monkey, you know, and then a guy named Dave, and he just did a wonderful job of fitting me to my bike and showing me the proper equipment and, and giving me building my bike from scratch and making it suit me. And, and then I learned to try to, you know, get fit on that bike, but that is all a different world compared to running. And, um, so it's been, a, that's been great. A real learning experience transitioning into triathlons. Well, I feel like that'd be another motivational factor. Just what you said that, you know, I'm a firm believer of what you're putting into something is what you're going to get out of it. And that, you know, like you just said, like with the technique and learning new things and like, hey, you know, getting faster at, you know, my 10 mile bike ride, my 5K, whatever it is that's just like, OK, I, this this is really working. It's just not, you know, just fake news or whatever you want to say. If there's actually no. behind this. Right. And that, that I mean, that's what when I'm seeing improvement in myself and just my daily life and my mental and physical health, it's like, wow, I'm OK. Now I'm starting to get addicted. Well, I don't want to say addicted, but. You know, you get addicted to those results, I guess, in a sense. Yeah. And uh, my daughter is very motivated. She, I once asked her, well, how, how do you feel if you, like, she's a pure runner right right now. Although she's starting to cycle a bit too. So you, you never know. I can see her getting into triathlons. Uh, but I asked her, what do you, uh, what do you feel like when you don't go for a run? She, and she said, uh, I'm, a, I'm a bitch. That was her answer. answer. Like, okay. Uh, uh, sorry for the language, but no, it's uh, fine. I, I don't mind it on here. Uh, and uh, there's even been studies on aerobic exercise and whatnot, and trying to connect it to mental health, right? And that's a that I talk about that in my book too. And they they found it really hard to like, there's a lot of correlation, you know, runners or athletes have more, you know, less depression, sure, better stuff like that. But then it's all correlation, they can never really prove it. So, um, but the a recent study, uh, I think it's the, the Harvard University, did a very sophisticated analysis of, of athletes, uh, endurance athletes. I think it was cyclists, runners, and whatnot. And they did find a, uh, they used a very randomized 
technique and statistics, and they found a pretty strong correlation. But I think the the way to find it is to, if you do the study, here's how you do the study. You take aerobic athletes or athletes, and you say to them, you can't exercise. <laughs> just tell them that and sure. see how they feel the next week or two, and you'll find, like, they're just going to be good. They're going to be bitches a lot of them, right? And uh, yeah, that's the way to do the study. Of course, nobody wants to do that study because who would want to partake in that, right? So they don't. That that would be the way to prove that exercise is good for your mental health because when you take it away from people, they'd be climbing the walls, right? Yeah, um, yeah. I'm the same way. You know, you know. I have a. I heard a quote one time that great athletes are governed by routine, and it made so much sense to me just because you know I have my full time job. Then immediately after my job, I go trained for CrossFit, but you know, even when I started training for my half marathon, you know, I was like, all right, on my lunch break or right before work, whenever I could fit it in, that was what I was doing. And if I wasn't, wasn't able to get it in, you know, I was like, Oh, all right. You know, and I, I wouldn't say I was a bitch, but you know, there, you could feel there was just something like, you know, I feel like I need to get that exert that energy out of me, you know, throughout. Yes. My, yeah. Yes. And just that, you know, and it does kind of what, and I was just thinking about it constantly. Like, okay. When my, when now, if I can't run now, when can I get it in? It's like, okay, well, yes. that be my rest day. Then I'll run tomorrow and still be able to get it in. And that would make, and I would just make, and then that could be self-discipline. That could be just, you know, the motivational factor, but it was also just something in my head too, that I had to get it out no matter what, you know? Yeah. So that becomes, um, an issue too, though. And, and, in, in my, in run daughter, run father, the book, I, I have a chapter on um, overtraining because that becomes a, that can sort of creep in mm. the idea of overstressing, overtraining <clears throat> to the point where um, some of these, there's some syndromes that are connected to this. Like uh, there's one known as the female athlete triad. There's the um, um, a syndrome called um, REDS. It's an acronym, but uh, it's, it's basically about, um, energy deficiency syndrome where you just you're begging your body for so much energy that it's becoming it's going to become deficient and there's even um, hypogonadal syndrome on males where they they uh their hormones and their gonads start becoming affected by just going too too hard and not recognize it so that's overtraining and that's sort of um it's a physiological thing but it um it uh it can it can sort of show itself through um, lackluster training or decreased performance. Um, yep. Just there's so many ways it can show itself, but the basic idea is you just, you need to take a bit of time off or shut it down for, it could be even a few weeks or a few days or whatever, but you need to just back off a bit. But then, you know, it can relate to other things like iron deficiency, like your diet. Like my, sure. my daughter, my daughter had a test once where she came in at five. I can't remember the, the units there, <clears throat> micrograms per milliliter or whatever of iron, uh, of, of, um, um, iron in the blood. Um, but, uh, she, uh, five is a very low level. You're supposed to be 20 or more. And they say endurance athletes are supposed to be 40 or 50 or 60. Oh, wow. So she was very low. And we, we, this was before the Canadian cross country championships, but she hadn't been showing any problems in her workouts. So, uh, we were wondering, should you, should she do, uh, an iron infusion and stuff like that. And then we had her retested. She came in at 45 on the retest. So who knows? Like we thought, okay, let's maybe the first test was wrong. Let's trust the second test. Um, but things like iron and diet can creep in too. So you I do agree. have to be careful um, in all of this uh, overtraining 
with these highly motivated people who don't want to miss any workouts and want to keep up with their teammates and want to get better and better. And they're, they're really highly, highly motivated people. Sometimes they go overboard. Uh, there's, uh, it can be a distress. It's, you know, you want to stress your body, right? But you don't want to distress yourself exactly. at that point. Right. So, you know, in talking about a little bit about overtraining and recovery there and about diet, you know, people were asking me that, you know, before I run, am I going to carb load or whatever? And, you know, and I've never been one of those people who do very well. Like uh, I've done a lot of different diets. I can't remember if we talked about this or not last time, but I like to experiment with them and to see how my body's feeling, what my performance is like. And that, and I told him, I was like, no, I don't think so that, you know, I know, you know, I've run, been, I've been running X amount of miles. I know how I feel. So I'm not going to, you know, put something in my, in myself where it's just going to be, all right, you know, it's what's going to happen here. It's going to be, is it a time bomb? Or are we going to be okay? Yeah. I just ate exactly the same way. And I had, and even that morning, you know, I think I had a big breakfast cause I knew I wasn't going to be running until late afternoon, but I had, and then I was just kind of, you know, had small, I guess, snacks. I knew that would work well with me. And then it came out. Yeah. Of, yeah it came That's out reasonable. Day. That's reasonable. Especially for a half marathon, you don't really need to carbo load. Now for a marathon, some people will start experimenting that, but you don't want to experiment like for your one marathon. You want to try it before that, well before that. And, sure. uh, and, uh, so, but for a half marathon, but I can tell you still diet can't affect a half marathon. I did something really stupid. I should tell your listeners about, uh -oh. I, um, <clears throat> well, I'm always fascinated with body weight. And for me, I tend to sort of in the winter, my weight goes up and then I try to drive it down to like where I'm lean and mean running machine there you go. In racing season. Right. And that, that makes sense. Right. So, sure. because I mean, assuming you're healthy, if you can decrease your body weight, 1%, you're actually going to become about 1% faster. Like, assuming you're not too skinny, you're not, you know, so, and so there's a point where that doesn't work, but I'm, I'm, I know I'm a little bit overweight. You can see a little bit of flab there. So, you know, trying to lose a couple of pounds. Anyway, before this half marathon, <coughs> this was a few years ago, I thought I would drive down my weight uh, a couple of pounds the week before the race. So I, I, how do you do that? You don't, you don't eat carbohydrates. Right? Yeah. So, you know, I was like really careful that not, not doing my normal diet. And uh, so I, I actually got, I got to the starting line a couple of pounds lighter and thinking, oh, I'm going to be 2% faster now. Right? <laughs> and uh, I was, I was 2% faster for about 10 kilometers. Oh no. And, and the next 20, 11 kilometers, the half, second half of the half marathon, I was like, slowing down like i didn't feel that good I, and people were passing me and normally in a race i'm not like you know not that bad i'm reasonably used to be all that but i just didn't have anything in the tank it seemed and i and I, I couldn't even figure out why right and then it was only a few days after the race i realized how stupid i was with that diet i think i actually hit the wall or nearly hit the wall i was out i was low in glycogen carbohydrate glycogen stores in my muscles for the second half of that race that can actually happen even in a shorter distance if you're quite depleted anyway which i was oh man yeah that's a tough pill to swallow right there just yeah so <laughs> tough tough uh tough lesson to learn that's what i was trying to say yeah yeah it was yeah. so stupid man i didn't and it, i'm a little slow sometimes it took me a while to figure out what happened i'm now convinced that's exactly what happened i don't doubt it sounds like it man yeah it's just that you know, you, you do something like that, you really understand what it's going to do to your body or how it's going to change, especially if you haven't been experienced with it. You just, you don't know. And that's one thing that scared me. And I, I think I've had a similar lesson like that, but it was, you know, earlier in the years that I just don't want to start changing 
a lot of different things. Like if it ain't broke, don't fix it almost. It's one of those. Exactly. Things. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, you know, and, and I'm not saying what I do should be done by everybody, but it's just, I know what works well for me. And, yeah. and there's, I never believe there's one diet that fits all, but everyone's because everyone's different, right? Everyone's got, yeah. Their, yeah. Everybody is. Um, and one other thing I'd like to mention um, that comes up in the book about my daughter and I is she was, I was sort of coaching her when she was eight, nine, 10, 11, and 12, 13. That by that point, she became a high school athlete and sure. she had some pretty good coaches. So I didn't have to be as involved. But for that first six years, I sort of had to watch her and she was very motivated. She always wanted to run more, try 5K races, try 10K. Like she really had a lot of zeal and energy. And I was constantly reining her in like telling her, subduing her, telling her, no, you don't need to do this race. You don't need another workout. Watching her mile, her kilometers, miles. So we were pretty conservative with her. And, and in the forward to my book, she writes a forward to my book and she talks about how we locked horns a lot over this issue. Uh, and she, and she, uh, she was very hard-nosed about trying to run harder, run more, run faster, run races. And I was always uh, holding her back but she said she now appreciates it because uh, she, first of all, has never been injured seriously Good. and she still loves running. So that, that's, that's a big issue for parents. They've got to be careful. There's a parent what trap. I wanted to ask you about was like, you know, the type of bonding experience that came through with this whole book and, you know, y'all, you know, like you said, you coaching with her and running with her and all that. I mean, what was it like? What was that process? Yeah. So here I am. I'm her father. I'm, her coach and I'm somewhat of a training partner for several years. That that's three things in one. So it can be very. Some people should say you should never even coach your own uh, son or daughter. But um, you just have to be careful. There's that parent trap I talked about where you just want to live by their success, so you push them more and more. Yeah. But that that jeopardizes their is their health and their long term athletic development. So I was careful about that. And um, the other thing is I, I recognize that sometimes I had to wear one hat more than the other. Like, for example, that race, um, well, we went to the Philadelphia for a race where she had an asthma attack. We went to the big pen relays. She had an asthma attack in that race, too. And it was so disappointing because we drove all the way to Philadelphia. She was so pumped up, run with the best American girls, Hannah DeBelsey, the best American was in that race. Wow. Steph Stephanie was running pretty well. And then after four laps, she came by me in the stands and was pointing at her throat. I thought, oh, no, she can't breathe, right? So she just shut it down and jogged in. Um, and uh, it was a long ride back. <clears throat> now, on the way back um, to Canada, um, you know, I could have been the coach and analyzing everything, but I was her father and I just... Um, told silly jokes. We played games, word games. We listened to songs, tried anything but talk about the race. Just, just forget about the race. She just needs, uh, you know, someone to hug her and, and love her. And that's, that's when I, 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 I couldn't be a coach anymore. I just had to be a good father. So there, there was a lot of bonding like that in the failures, you know? Yeah. Is that kind of, you know, I can't remember if I told you, but you know, I'm, I'm not a father yet, but is it just one of those things when you just kind of know, or is, is it just naturally coming, you know, like, all right, like you just said, this is time to be a father. This is not time to be the coach right here and break it down and analyze every little thing. I mean, did that just come natural to you? And then, or is that just another, just kind of lesson that you had to learn? It's like, Hey, you know, like through trial and error when she was young, just through trial and error and then yeah. reading about other people, like reading about other fathers and like, uh, Sebastian Coe is a good example. His father coached him, Peter Coe. 
and Peter co-wrote the book Winning Running. It's a great book, uh, and um, he was quite involved in his son's uh, training, and and he coached him right through. And Peter learned about all the running science, and um, you know, so I, I I I did read what I could, but sometimes I made mistakes. One of the biggest mistakes I made was uh, <clears throat> after she had a terrible race uh, one year, sort of when she remember she said she regressed, she regressed. So I think second year university, she just had an awful race in the the university final race. Like I, I was just shocked. She looked like she was running slowly and she was, she was not even a four minute kilometer pace. Normally she's like 340 or something, sure. 345. <clears throat> she couldn't even do a four minute kilometer pace and she looked slow. And then after the race, I went up to her and said, uh, like, are you a little heavy or something? Or what, what, what happened there? And I'm kind of like, no, why did I say that? Like yeah. that is, I mean, first of all, you, you why would you say that right after the race? Like they're not going to be in a good mood, right? Correct. Just give them a hug. Don't worry about it. Don't try to like, or is your blood iron low or is your body weight too high? <laughs> like, like that was yeah. just one of the, that was a low point actually in our, in our, um, in our relationship, actually that moment when I said that on after that horrible race, I, I it really, and I talk about that in my book, how I, I failed her and, it's just a not not a good thing to say as a coach or as a father. It's just you know. yeah. So uh, it's like you said, trial and error. I mean, and now that you know you, and I hate saying it because sometimes you have to go through those experiences in order to learn and get your and you know learn from your mistakes and make yourself better. Which you know it sucks. You know, going through something like that or hurting somebody like that. But you know, it seems like y'all created a good bond now, and you know she's still running, and um, things seem pretty pretty well. It's pretty good. And even this writing of this book was uh, not a total issue, but it was a bit of an issue. Like uh, she got wind that I was writing a book about her and I, right? <laughs> so like, like I never thought I'd ever write anything biographical. I'm not a famous person, right? But I felt like I had a story to share, like a story that people can learn about and and, can, and to share that knowledge and those experiences, the funny stories and the ups and downs and the definitely some training. We have lots of training tips and advice and workout ideas in there too so i wanted to share that and i'm very proud of uh what we did uh, uh and um and what she did for me uh, you know here's a, a son or daughter positively influence a parent right we always think as parents we got to influence them but they can be they can come the other way too right it's just fantastic so i wanted to share that i did bounce the idea of the book offer and she was originally she's like sort of looked at me sideways but then she came aboard and she was actually very helpful with providing um, statistics and recollections of what was this race step well, do you remember how you felt and stuff like that and then she was very very helpful editing it and reading it and then um so giving me feedback on it and then um she wrote the forward to it and then she even got we put some photographs in there like not too many but a few <clears throat> sprinkled across the book and uh so she helped with that too so she was actually that was another shared venture of the book um yeah that was another great way of uh, sort of capping it all off you know well, dr mark i think it's a perfect way to take this home on that right there so um if you know has the book out yet if people want to find it or yeah so it just came out a couple of weeks ago um if they type in run daughter comma run father they'll see it and maybe you can have a link to the i will podcast. i'll put it on the notes uh, type it in on amazon or um, apple or kobo or indigo it's on most of the major retail platforms and there's an ebook and there's also a um, paperback 
um, on those platforms. So it's called Run Daughter, Run Father. Right. Well, that sounds great. I'm, I'm, Dr. Mark, I'm glad you came back here. Glad you had another chat with me. This was fun. Glad we did. It's an absolute pleasure, Chris. Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks again. All right, folks, we're out of here. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.